Welcome to the Live from Lake Balfour podcast. I'm Maddie Wasserman. Thank you guys for joining us for our third ever installment of the Baco 30 for 30 podcast series. We're going to be talking about the Milk and Cookies song, but not just the song, but really everything that surrounds it, its origins, how it was made, and so much more. Greg and Danny, I'm really excited for this one. How you guys doing? Hey, Maddie. Good to see you, buddy. Hey, Maddie. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year to you guys. So this is one 30 for 30 that I'm really excited about doing. You know, it's not inherently as obvious as the first two we've done, right? You know, the first one we did about that incredible night in 2017 where the Superdome had its moment. Then we did the main squeeze one. Like, those are two iconic moments that anyone who's been to camp in the last decade would, you know, rattle up at the top of their head. The Milk and Cookies song is not as obvious, and on the surface. But I think as we get deeper into it, we're really going to be able to see why this one song was able to galvanize a waiter bunk, galvanize a camp, and really just embody the entire spirit of what makes Baco so special, right? Yeah, I mean, Maddie, I've always applauded your ability to organize your words to convey exactly, like, that once again goes so deep everybody has such a hard time oh defining camp or explain camp to your friends or whatever i think you i think this is one of those moments one of those simple moments that goes such a long way and i think the way you introed it is so perfect it's it's one of those almost everyday things in camp but it just speaks volumes in so many different ways i'm anxious to dig deep yeah so i mean we're about to talk very seriously in depth about a song called milk and cookies and I'm sure our special guest during this podcast will give us a, the history and the background and the genesis of it. But um, yeah, this is a, a special thing in camp that happens regularly that sometimes I think when you put a magnifying glass on it, helps tell the story of, of how unique and special our community is. Right, agreed. And we could not tell the story of Milk and Cookies without the creator of the song himself, who debuted it at a talent show. And what year was it, Dylan, that you uh, brought this to life? 2014, actually. So six or now seven years ago. So seven years ago, you debuted the song Milk and Cookies at a talent show to instant acclaim. So before we have you sing the song, so everyone at home that does has was not at this show or at camp in the subsequent years when it's been repeated many times, uh, understands what it's like. Why don't you take us through why on earth were you just sitting in your bunk and you were like, I'm going to write a song about milk and cookies. Well, hold, hold on, Maddie. Before Dylan says that, Dylan, can you just give us a quick bio on yourself? Because I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are, don't know you because they're older camp alum or, um, you know, even maybe fr- friends of people from camp that, you know, camp people make their friends listen to this podcast. Yeah. So it was like, what, what year you came to camp, what year you were a waiter, all that stuff. So... I'm known as Tate here at Camp Baco. I thank you for having me, Maddie. And my first summer was 2012, and I'm a waiter of 2018. Yeah. So, milk and cookies. It spawned in my mind. It was a rainy day, and we weren't having milk call, obviously, but we were having a talent show, and we were all just in the bunk doing Legos. In 2014, it was we were in the lower K. And Harry Israti actually hears me just doing the chant. And he 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 saw the potential of the, the star potential of the song. So we get Rick in the bunk. Rick says he likes the idea. He doesn't know if there's time in the talent show. He doesn't know if they could book us. 
So we show up to the talent show. We're all wearing green shirts because that was the attire. And we were the final performance. And Rick, thank God, he decided he could fit us in the time slot. And after that, the camp, it's Camp Legacy now. It's history. So Tate, do you, you know, you say you're in, in the bunk playing Legos and you're rattling it off and Harry Azrati is the one that notices it. Did it just come about that day? Was it something you had been working on? Was it something like when you lay in, in bed in the morning w- w- waiting for the bell to ring when your head is spinning a million different ways, you were like writing it in your brain? Like it didn't uh, explain it. No. So I've been singing the Milk and Cookies song actually since my first summer. But that day, Harry Azrati just saw me singing it. He he knew that it had to be something for the whole camp to display. So you've been so, singing it since you were a younger camper? Yeah, when I first went to Milk Call, I would just do the tune and like I would do it in the bunk. And like my my bunkmates, they were fans, but it wasn't at the camp camp wide appreciation it is today. It's almost like a band that has a song that's when the song's not on the album, and it just comes out on an album like years later. Yeah, <laughs> it becomes a it becomes a hit years later. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know that. That's interesting. All right, so before, I, I didn't know that either. Before we go any further, I think we need to get you to sing this here because everyone in camp obviously knows the iconic chorus of the song. Um, but of I course. think the verses are actually your uh, songwriting genius comes to life because the verses actually are really good. So why don't we get a very quick performance here of this song? So just so the people at home that don't know it can really understand the true greatness of the milk and cookie song all right so when 745 comes around there is only just one sound the sound of the children running up the hill so they can get their fill of milk and cookies milk milk and cookies milk and cookies milk milk and cookies and should we go into the second verse as well? Or we have, we have to do the second verse. Whether it's oatmeal, sugar, or chocolate chip, you know that it is delish when it's dipped in the nectar of the gods that we call milk. Now say hurrah. Milk and cookies. Milk, milk, and cookies. Milk and cookies. Milk, milk, and cookies. All right. Thank you. Incredible performance there. Um Obviously, for those of you listening now that hadn't heard it before, I mean, it's a great song. And I think what we had to talk about is the reception that it got at the camp. Because, you know, you just listen to that song, it puts a smile on your face, right? And was it the, what about the reaction that the camp had to the song where everyone is, you know, chanting at it and that was the song everyone sang the rest of the summer, we're still singing now? Like, what about the reception of that song really still sticks out in your mind? Well, what made me really happy was, like, it was debuted at the talent show, but then going forward, I wouldn't even be at Milk Call. I would be walking to Milk Call, and I would just hear all the kids chanting it. Like, it it grew above me. It just was associated with the event. (laughs) I also remember at the talent show, the physical, like, motion of everyone's like you know arms and hands and I yeah that's that, what i remember the most because you were you know what were you 12 years old 13 years old yeah like, lower you, were case song, lanky. Right? Like, you were like kind of lanky that summer like you had like the long arms a little bit not lanky but you were a little army and yeah and so you would do the clap to the side the clap to the side and the clap up and it just mm-hmm. it looked completely ridiculous and every, you know and everyone kind of everyone was, was following it yeah it <laughs> yeah, wasn't <that's> great <laughs> um 
the hand motions are definitely a big part of what made it catch on. That's very much associated. So Dylan, I, I have two questions. Um, I'm going to ask them both now, just cause I feel like I'll, I'll forget. The first one is like the milk and cookies chorus that everybody knows that the kids were singing on the terrace and, you know, the hands and, and the whole thing and what's on the t-shirt for those that don't know, there's a milk and cookies t-shirt. I'm a proud owner of one. Um, you could get it at the bazaar, uh, the online uh, bazaar. Nice plug. I still need to get my hands on one actually. All right. Well, yes, you do. Um, my, my first question is like, those lyrics are probably easy. It's like the nectar of the gods, the oatmeal, the lit, like all the other lyrics it's not something that pops into somebody's head like regularly or normally. So I, I, I want you to give us a little bit of the background of the lyrics. That's my first question, the, the, the non-chorus lyrics. And my second question is, this might be a little personal, but hey, I mean, we're in the middle of a uh, pandemic and we're on a podcast, like we might as well go there. We can go what there. Did, what, what did this song do for you personally as a member of the Baco community, because I believe when you guys were in the lower K, that was when the seventh grade was in the lower case. So you were still like a 12 year old in camp, probably tr trying to find your way. Um, Absolutely. So if you want, I mean, you can answer them, you know, throughout the pod, you can answer them now, but those are the two things that I'm curious about. No, I would love to. So first off, when when I was first singing it in the bunk, I did not have verses. And I, I wrote the verses for the talent show because I knew that there had to be a bit more than just me going up and doing, the, doing like three words, you know? So it was written with that intention. <laughs> and as, as far as establishing like what it did for my camp career, I would say it really, I was young. Not everyone knew like who Dylan Tate was it really put it really helped associate for the older counselors especially who are like like put a name to the face if that makes sense yeah no I know um and probably for your bunk also it's probably you know the first time your bunk and I'm trying to remember which half of the bunk was in 18 and which half was in 19 but for your age group as a whole, it was probably the first like limelight spotlight moment for your age group. And it, I mean, you guys went on to be like an incredible waiter bunk, which we've talked about, you know, not on this pod, but just like in, in general, I feel like this was a huge moment for your age group to kind of bond you guys together and have your moment in camp and to kind of like solidify, not that you guys were there to stay because you guys were always a classic bunk, but just, it put you guys like in a different light, like kind of made you unique in, in, in your own way. Um, I think um, Danny and I have, and Maddie, we talked months ago, or maybe it was, maybe right. I don't know. It was a long time ago. We did a podcast on the geography of camp and like how cool it is where you, when you're at certain ages living in different parts of camp and seventh graders are usually not always, but usually in the circle or down the hill, you know, like over there, by the courts, by the fields, a little bit more like in the action. And then when you go into eighth grade, that's when you go to the Kauser house and the ninth grade or upstairs and the eighth grade or downstairs. That's a traditional format of what most people listen to this podcast probably think the Kauser house to be, but that's not what it's, I mean, before I came to camp, you know, there was a year when there was, it was worse CITs and there's a year where, you know, all different sorts of ages that lived in those cabins. 
So to say that it's always been a certain way is not true. But when you guys were in seventh grade downstairs, I remember being concerned that you were sort of removed from the action. You were living underneath kids that were, although only one year older, significantly older. I mean, the difference between seventh graders and eighth graders is a big, that's a big gap um, in development. So I remember being worried about you guys in the K house and, and it almost all turned on a dime that night at the talent show. You know, it just goes to show that butterfly effect that, you know, had you not created the tune, had Rick not green lighted the act, had Harry not pushed you to do it. Um, you know, we, Danny, I mean, Danny is a, a wearer of wonderful t-shirts. He's got a t-shirt collection that probably surpasses anyone I know. And his milk and cookies t-shirt is as top shelf as it gets in his arsenal. He wore it on Friday night of family camp all three weekends. And it doesn't get any more important than that. Yeah, and I mean, That's I also crazy. think it's the type of thing where, you know, you mentioned how I think sometimes that, you know, 12-year-old age group can sort of feel sandwiched in between a few things in camp, as you said, in the geography. But it was also the perfect age for this song to catch. Because, you know, if you were, I don't know, nine years old when someone made this song, first of all, you probably wouldn't have had the organization to possibly execute that in front of the camp and the talent show the way you did. If you were older, you might not have been taken as seriously for like actually doing the song. But at the age you were at, it was kind of the perfect age where like we still took it seriously, but at the same time, it was also organized enough where you could make those lyrics to sound like that. And you could, you know, get a few of your friends up there on stage to perform the song. Like you really, and a lot of times in camp, that age group is sort of in between a lot of phases, but at the same time, that's also what made this song work so well and what made it so perfect because you were at that point where you sort of couldn't connect with so much of camp. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. And like Greg said, it definitely did bond us to the older campers and the younger ones because it, it brought everyone together. And I, I want to say I couldn't have done it alone like you were listing everyone. I have to thank all my backup dancers especially Charlie Benami and <laughs> yeah, like that. I, I wouldn't have been able to do it by myself either. I needed those backup reinforcements. Right. Cause so that's that was, was... going to be my yeah. next question is who, you know, you mentioned Harry is Roddy, which I didn't know before this podcast. Mentioned, sense, though, right? It's funny though. Um, I'm yeah. actually not surprised about that because only cause he was my counselor actually a couple summers later or maybe the next summer. And I actually remember he had this like kids rap thing that he played sometimes and like it was these really stupid songs with these lyrics that like frankly sound a lot like the milk and cookies not like exactly but they were about like different really stupid things like kids related things that were said in this like kind of rap music. And it actually really reminds me of the Milky Cookie. So now that you mentioned Harry Izrati, I'm like really unsurprised that that was the guy who like saw the potential of this song. I, I totally but actually. <laughs> There's one video where he's explaining the it's the kids rapping. They're really young about how they just love playing sports, but it's like an intense. Exactly. Yeah, that's my that. point, and that's where I see the connection. So that's actually why I'm unsurprised that uh, Izrati was the guy. That saw. This was before technology was banned at camp. Can we go back to um, can we go back to the lyrics that Danny was asking you about? Can I just elephant in the room? Just chocolate chip and delish just don't rhyme. They just don't <laughs> rhyme. But isn't that also the charm of the verse? That's like the yeah. That's the charm of the song. It's like everyone knows it doesn't rhyme. Nobody cares. And like if you dared to change the lyrics, we wouldn't be on board. Yeah, you're changing history. 
<laughs> can we can we talk a little bit about and Maddie? I'm sure you have some hard hitting questions too, but a little bit how about how this kind of was not just isolated to that talent show and what other events this spun into that you've had to perform it at. Um, Cause it's clearly been something that, you know, the camp chants for all the time. Where else did this get reprised? Like that summer, f- future summers. Well, I don't think there's been a single um, army Navy, army Navy day or Olympics where I haven't performed it while we're waiting for the judges to rally their scores in so i would i've consistently gone up as a camper and counselor up there to perform <laughs> because it's such an easy thing to catch on to right someone just starts milk and cookies do you milk. feel do you feel like annoyed or pressured you know people are constantly asking you to do the same thing sort of like when you come over to the admin one table and i ask you to do the pop goes the weasel trick no i i enjoy both the pop goes the weasel and doing the milk and cookies because if, at, at this point both just feel like traditions like i expect while I walk by the admin table, I expect to do the pop goes the weasel. <laughs> I also expect if there's an Olympics, if there's an Army Navy Day, I'll be up there. What about um? Have there been? I think at family camp you did it like after the campfire or something. Yeah, although that that felt a bit since the the parents are unfamiliar, it felt it felt more like I was teaching at that point. Okay. It's more for That's the campers. Good, That's good. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I think we're going to go deeper into this throughout the, the podcast. But the real magic here is that, you know, that you created a song that brought everyone together, but it also it, it spawned other opportunities for you. I mean, when Rick did in Medieval Baco, a couple of summers ago, one of the last nights at camp, when he basically, for those of you that don't know what this is, Rick Weiss <clears throat> turned Baco into a medieval times sort of setting with different competitions on the slopes. And it was, I mean, right up there with donkey basketball, schmucky circus, just like in a completely absurd event. No, it was and, amazing. And I got Dylan to Tate, Dylan the Tate provided, he was the jester. He was yeah, the jester. You're not the jester like, without milk and cookies. Right, exactly. Exactly. That's my point. Or actually, a few years ago in the talent show where we did, um, I forget what it was. We we would do the fake lightsaber performance where me and Charlie were fought. I think that was this. That was my last year on staff. That was 20, 2019? Yeah. Yeah. Charlie's name keeps coming up. Like you're it's not getting because... the guts to do that without milk and cookies. It... Yeah, you're right about that. That was the the pushing, the driving force. Yep. All right. So now I think we're going to move on here to a couple of our categories here for 30 for 30. And this is sort of going to bring us full circle here. We did this on the first one. So I just have a few things we're going to rattle off. And I think we're going to go a little bit in depth into them. So the first one I have here is uh, what's age the best from this moment. So for those of you that are unfamiliar with the rewatchables, this is basically a segment. We're just going to talk about what about that moment 
we still look back on now has aged really well. And I think the first one, when I look back on it, for sure, is just the camaraderie of everyone being together, right? Um, and, you know, I think we've been in quarantine now for so long to the point where, like, it's a foreign experience for us to all be in that room. You know, the social hall is packed. It's kind of hot. We're all sort of crampled on top of each other. But that's also why something like this is so magnetic and can spread like that. And, you know, I just think back to that, and that's really what I sort of look forward to again when we can go back to camp is stuff like the talent show and stuff like this Milk and Cookie song being able to spread like wildfire in that social hall. Is, do you think, speaking of age the best, do we think that this is something that's going to live on long after Dylan is at camp? Sort of like those things that that you do at camp and you wonder where they start, kind of like at, at Vashana when it's like, no, they don't. Yes, they do. Like that would that was there when when I got to camp thirty five years ago and there's a lot of things at camp that are just there. Is our milk and, is the milk and cookie song going to always be there? I can only uh, hope and I can only push. But well, the question <laughs> I, is, I, we'll, I, we'll see how the legacy goes. I, I I think an answer to that question is not that milk call was ever in jeopardy or on life support, but if it ever was in any crazy world, this song basically bought milk call like another nine lives right so it's like it's like that contract that kobe signed towards the end of his career yeah it's like i just think that when maddie asked what's age the best i i look at it from more of a literal standpoint like you can and this is not just what's age the best for now but what's age the best looking back looking forward all all directions any era of bako milk call is like looked at positively so i think this song bringing that to light and like celebrating milk call which was great in 1987 it was great in 2007 it was great in 1977 it's great in you know 2017 it'll be great in 2027 right it's not like it's a song about packing day i think i think milk call has aged the best um due to this song like if there's ever a person of any age in camp that's a coin flip about should I go to milk call tonight? Should I not? That 50-50 is probably now more 55-45 because of this song. That's a great point. And also the song, so, I think... I'm going to say that's what's age the best. The song also really just embodies the spirit of milk call. And, you know, my personal favorite lyric of the entire song by far is uh, the children running up the hill so they can get their fill. I think that's the most iconic line of the song. And I think it really embodies the spirit of milk call in people, you know, just gotta go to milk call and how integral of a part of camp milk call really is. And that that's really captured so well in the song. Nectar of the gods. I think as long as milk call exists, hopefully the chant will as well. Agreed. So, okay, so our next category here, and I think this one's pretty self-explanatory, is the best only can happen at camp moment. Um, For me, I mean, this is pretty simple. Someone gets on stage and, you know, and you have grown men chanting about milk and cookies. And now seven years later, still doing a podcast about a milk and cookie song. Um, I mean, it can only happen at camp that you would get this kind of reaction to that song. Um it really doesn't make much sense. It still doesn't make sense. But at the same time, it makes all the sense in the world because it's camp and you're just waiting for something like that to happen that's contagious, right? I just, I think that there's 
sound in general has been so important and instrumental to the success of camp, whether it be song or just, the, you know, we talked about the main squeeze, pot, uh, main squeeze night. Um, we just did playlists. Uh, the senior staff did playlists on Spotify for um, different parts of your day, like cleanup or getting ready for your day or winding down at night. Um, <clears throat> during family camp, Jerry uh, Wartman was talking about how he missed the sounds of the doors opening and closing and how that was, quote, the rhythm of camp and sort of the soundtrack to his childhood. And just the sounds of camp are so important. And when you can organize as a group together to create, you know, do something so creative and funny and together, uh, I think, yeah, I mean, that only happens at camp, but it happens so organically. There are certain things that happen on purpose, like the sing um you know the waiters writing songs for the sing right but i think the sing is a great point because and you know tate you just mentioned this a minute ago the sing is something that happens by schedule but what's organic is the part when the judges leave to go congregate and you really see what's bubbling in camp what counselors are being chanted for what songs are nailing it again and that's really right that's really the organic part of camp and i think that really speaks like the true litmus test of the popularity of something in camp the nature which people care about it is is really that time like that's really a, just a great test and i think you said this date every year when people milky cookies always happens at some point and like there's not milk call that day like it's not even really related to milk calls just well what else are you going to chant about but this incredible milk and cookies song and that's really where we get to see how that's why i really think this song will live on and maybe people won't always know the lyrics but um of the verses which i think is a shame because they're incredible but i think what we will always say is the classic milk and cookies it's just something you have to remember that was beautiful maddie and the third category here and i think out of all the podcasts we've ever done this is the uh, single most example of this, the unanswerable questions. There is only one unanswerable question, Tate, that must be addressed. The third verse. You knew it was coming when we invited you on the podcast. Since I think the year you made this, there was always a rumor, a little murmur around camp of a third verse. The question I ask you, is there a third verse of the Milk and Cookies song? Third verse does exist. That's all I'll say. So you're willing to admit the third verse exists, but you're not willing to come on the podcast and share with our loyal listeners the extent of the third verse. I believe that when the time is ready, it will be debuted at camp. But for now, it's it's under wraps. It's a secret. It's a myth. Does anybody else know it? I cannot answer that question. So that's a yes. That's so a yes. to give a little context for not just the listeners, but for me too, the when you first debuted at that talent show in 2014, was it only the first verse and the chorus? Yes. And then the the further verses were in, in the future. So but the verse the with the, verse, the second verse that has the delish that doesn't really rhyme but it's kind of awesome at the same time and the time. nectar of the gods yes the yeah, nectar that of the... was that was written the same summer as the performance but that wasn't performed at the talent show that was performed the following summer actually yeah, you, gotta, you gotta always like like sheman says you always want to leave them wanting more exactly and then when was this third verse created um 
it's always been worked on throughout my camper career and it's just i i've never thought that the time to show it off truly has come yet i love it <laughs> so what what circumstance would there be where you would be willing to give us this third verse because this is truly the unanswerable question because the first two verses are so iconic that you know you just leave us wanting more right we, we want to see the third one i think you're you're on to something where you say you always want to re- leave the fan on want leave the fans on wanting more and if i perform the third verse i think it would it would have to feel conclusive it has to feel right i think the first night of milk call we'll see here's another question yeah here's here's another question when you performed this and this might be unanswerable because you probably can't put your how old are you now 19 18 all right, can't put your 18-year-old brain back where your 12-year-old brain was, but when you were writing this and made the decision to perform it and were begging Rick or whatever to do it, did you know it had big-time potential? Did you know that it was kind of like, let me swing for the fences, and if I strike out, I strike out, but if I hit it, this could be my moment? Like, Did that cross your mind, or did it just happen? In my mind, when I initially performed it, the I, I had a feeling that the chant would catch on, at least for the talent show, but I had no clue that it would become such a phenomenon that it is today. You certainly didn't know that you would be doing a podcast from Israel during a global <laughs> pandemic talking about it with Maddie Wasserman and the Silver Brothers. I had a feeling. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I, I mean... always suspected. <laughs> I think the other thing, though, Greg, as the schedule maker of camp, um, you talked about how this ensures milk call happens. Does this ensure there will never, ever possibly be a change to the time of milk call? Well, like, you know, when, he, when, when he just said that, when he just said that, I was like, ooh, there's some 80s people that are going to be like 90s people that are gonna be like, what's milk call doing at 745? Yeah. When but did, well, so, okay, so let's, let's. at 830. Yeah, it used to be because really? evening activity used to be seven thirty to eight thirty, and I think sometime activity. in the mid two thousand, the counselors actually, signed out at nine. It, it was a whole different night schedule. Every, everything was adjusted. There, a there was a, there was a, a time period. I, I want to say it was the mid two thousands or like late two thousands, like two thousand eight or nine or something like that, maybe earlier where we just went all in on earlier bedtimes. We were noticing campers were super tired and there was no reason to have younger kids stay up as late as they were. So we went with like earlier bedtimes and it's been been really good for camp. All right. It's so I'm thinking about it now. And you know, when we were younger, even activity was later, it was seven 30 to eight 30. And then the counselor signed out at nine might've been seven 15 to eight 15, but I think it was seven 30, eight 30. But like what Greg was saying, more recently, evening activity went from 7 to 8 to 7 to 7.45. We shortened evening activity by 15 minutes. We figured there was no reason for it to be an hour. And that's when milk call got moved to 7.45. So now, what went, okay, so now. Yeah, but bigger event, bigger evening activity events are longer than they need to be, like talent shows. So it used to be 8 o'clock, it would be milk call, and then 8.30 OD would start. And then we figured that was too quick. So that's why that's when it went to seven forty five and even activity was shortened. So now let's do a hypothetical scenario. You know, you go, yeah. I go, Greg, like, 
We're changing the schedule. Milk calls now seven thirty. What? You can't. The song. What happens to the song? I mean, it's true. It's people, people listen. When the waiter bunk was, off. when the waiter bunk was changed from bunk twenty three to bunk twenty four, exactly I, I, I thought the world was gonna stop spinning on on its axis. <clears throat> if we change milk call from seven forty five to any other time now, as crazy as it seems, the world will still continue to spin. But it just. Yeah, but the song will not continue, and it's... Ah. It adds another layer to the curiosity of the song. Yeah, I think it'll age well, to be honest with you. I think the song ages very well. It still holds up. You know, it's one of those things where you have it in your memory, right? We talked about doing this podcast, and I was like, wow, I just remember the song being so great. Even though it's short, I remember it being so great, and then we hear Tate singing here, and it's like, it's just as good as I remember every time. (laughs) Every time. All right, so now what we're going to do here at the end, and I sort of want to get this off to a larger thing, right? And this is something in general, just camp songs. I think everyone here would agree that Milk and Cookies is one of the iconic organic camp songs, chants, rhythms of all time. But Greg and Danny, you guys have been around for so long. I can name a few in my time, but what do you guys think of is like other iconic Milk and Cookies-esque camp songs that well, I, I, something maddie i don't know if you know this I, I i think you probably do dylan i don't know if you know this when i was a kid at camp mel wartman would always get like one or two kids after talent shows or after the big show or after any sort of big production up on the stage to lead cheers um when i was really young i think mel had like older campers do it who their job was just to like lead cheers at everything like that was their like bunk 22 job or something Something like that. So, I mean, there are iconic chants like and cheers like the rip saw, you know, give a rip, give a rip saw, give a rap saw. That goes back. And and by the and, and I think what's interesting about that song, especially, and I think that's when we talk about milk and cookies sort of aging in a sense, is that song. I didn't know that song, and that song's been around forever. I didn't know that song until I would say like three or four years ago. At some point, yeah, but it made a comeback because I think it was probably Rick or maybe it was you, Greg. Yeah, Rick. Rick made it a point to bring. He made it, it back. a point it to like. Never, it was never fully out, but it was on life support there for a while. It was on life support, and I it's sort of like uh you know reviving the song, and I think for something like Milk and Cookies, which I would put in that category kind of of a song, mm-hmm. is the type of thing where. Over time, people know, yeah, milk and cookies, milk, milk and cookies. People know that part, but like at some point, maybe it's one of you guys gonna say, like, we have one, we're sitting on this iconic song here. Like, let's give the whole camp these verses and bring it back. And that's the type of thing. These things persist over such a long period of time, and as we see the cycle of people coming out over time, you know, um, I think that's really what we see over time, right? You know, the cycle of these songs and how ultimately, though, you know, whether or not it's the same people going to camp in the 80s, the 90s, right now, in the 2030s, like, there's always something about Milk Call and something about these songs that you identify with. I think another one is a newer one that caught on and I think has the power to stand well past the people that were involved in it is the Jaron Biolos chant. Incredible. Um, and I remember when that started, that started, um, Jaron was playing in the, on the big court 
in one of those like 14s night games. I want to say that that was my first and summer in camp in 2013. He, it was when he was playing because Jaron was the grade younger, but his bunk was watching him while he was playing with the age group younger. And I remember chasing Mizrahi, and I forgot who else were leading the Oh Jaron Biola, <laughs> and, Eli and it totally cut on. And not only did does the whole camp still chant it? My son chanted. It wasn't even alive when that was happening. Um, <laughs> other camps chanted to us. I've been <laughs> coaching in other camps, and they chant Jaron Biolos, but Jaron Biolos isn't even on the trip to the inner camp. So the Jaron Biolos chant, it's really catchy. It's really simple. I think that's a little bit more of a simple one. Um, Dylan, in your years at camp, which I know we mentioned the Ripsaw and Jaron Biolos, what kind of songs and chants do you remember because well you've been in camp since you know the last eight nine years so i've always been a big fan of the welcoming song the visitor song i mean i'm visiting the mm -hmm. well it's also every saturday bruno leads it every saturday yeah and i think that that brings a great point you know you mentioned tate a few minutes ago about how when you were doing it during family camp you kind of went to the more like instructor role um whereas if you're doing it in front of consistently does the instructor role Right, but whereas when you do it in front of the whole camp now that's heard a million times, like everyone can kind of do it already, I feel like the welcome song kind of merges between milk and cookie song, what we were just saying about the Ripsaw song, in that maybe like oh, six years ago, maybe Bruno, when he was leading it, like he had to like teach people the lyrics again because like not everybody knew it, right? And it was during mm -hmm. assembly and he was like saying, and here's how the song goes, and it was like repeat after me type of thing. But then over time now, like, I don't even know if he leads anymore. Like, he selects someone else to, like, ceremony, be, like, the ceremonial leader of it. Because yeah, he, he usually picks a person to just stand up there with him. Exactly, know? that's like, my point. He doesn't, need to, he doesn't need to lead anything anymore. Everyone knows the welcome song. Now, whether or not you can hear it because people are clapping too loud, I mean, that's another podcast. But um, the concept of the song, you know, being something that people sang – and sort of going out and being retaught, but the second you reteach it, it's like, oh, I understand why that song was popular in the first place, because it hits that chord, right? And I think that's similar to the Milk and Cookies song. They really all have the same vibe of, you understand why it's a song that's traditional, right? It's pretty explanatory, right? For anyone that, I'm sure when, Tate, when you said this on the very beginning of this podcast, and you were like, clicked on this kind of skeptical like really like they're gonna do a podcast about milk and cookies you heard that song and you were like oh that's why because no matter what part of camp you went to you really understand that what makes it so special another chant or song that pops in my head that's a newer one i know ripsaw is older the welcome song is older but the where is the dirt under the bed yeah oh I my think god has, has has some real staying power um that's one kind of like the Jaron Biolos. You don't really need to know it. You just kind of have to say it. And that's a Mickey. That's you know, a Mickey special. You, you know, I think it debuted two years ago, but I could see it 10 years from now. It's still being, you know, it, it, it's, and it's the simple things like that, that brought together, not only the whole camp, it brought together the parents. It's made, it's, it's made the rounds on social media. Yeah, it's no, made the no, rounds on no, other songs. This one, uh, we can do a whole podcast on this one, but that one day, I, went, I don't know how, probably almost 10 years ago now, we walked out of the dining room and there was a tennis ball on the roof of Bunk 14, oh, oh. perched on the roof of Bunk 14. It looked like someone had like placed it there. 
And I, I remember Hank Broberg walking out of the dining room, like, hey, everybody, ball on roof. And the whole camp went out to the terrace area, kind of where, like, by the, where the flagpole is, like, by the rock ball, just chanting, ball on roof. Ball on a roof. Ball on roof. This may, okay, this may, so this may be a topic on another podcast. Like, we could go so in-depth about how a ball was on a triangular roof that it's unclear how anyone like even if someone staged it first of all like if you stage it at this point like things make their way around camp if someone staged it it probably by now like five six years later would have gotten out who staged it i don't even know how you would stage there's rumors that shannon put it up there and shannon has neither confirmed nor denied i mean there's it's all but it was also yeah. the same summer as that bird that was just following us, everyone around, Steve the bird Steve that the was bird. following everyone. And so you had to, like, pick whether you were in, like, ball on roof camp or, like, the Steve the bird camp. It's like, yo, are you ball on roof? Or Steve? It was like, are you, like, a Lakers fan or a Celtic fan? Like, you had to pick a side as if they were two competing entities. <laughs> yeah, there, and there's so even many today, Even today, you still hear the ball on roof chant, though. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's lasted. Because the ball is an interesting place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is really interesting. So I think the most when the most stressful part of your day is figuring out whether or not a ball was planted on a roof or it was just Yeah, but like hang on, on just pause pause for one sec. If that was planted, how would someone have gotten there to plant it? Like that no, is a Shannon has ladders. I understand, I but Shannon bunk fourteen, like even if you had ladders, to get a ladder to go up there. In bunk 14, it's not that far from the dining hall and have not one person see, like, there's a really low likelihood. I'm, a, I'm, I'm on Maddie's side on this one. I, I don't think it was planted there. I think it was... Because even if it was planted, that takes more than, like, the two minutes it would take to do that without someone noticing. It's Balls of physics, man. That ball just happened to get on the tip top of the roof without falling either way. I mean, there had to be a certain time of day, a certain season. The wind had to be perfectly blowing at a certain angle for a certain amount of time i don't know i know man. this i know this is changing topic but one man who receives a lot of praise a lot of chanting in camp would be michael sheeman when we're waiting for his plays we go crazy we just he has dozens of chants just for that man she what she man she what she did that's a good that's, that's a great point because it's not about it's the different ways of chanting one thing that kind of he, he that 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 that's all yeah and even at some point you see like the you see the evolution of chance like evolving into one order like we talked about the jaren biolos one like oh jaren biolos at some point they like switched it where someone did like oh michael sheeman because they they had to they had to transfer it from one chant to the other You, you sort of see like and we see now there's so many things i can think of like Oh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There's another chant or two that revolves around milk and cookies in the... There's a few of those, right? I can't think of... The Ripper. Chips. Yeah, thank you. Perfect. That's what I was... That's exactly what I was looking for. Because, right? And that's based, of course, on the milk and cookies song. So the legacy of milk and cookies is not just the song itself, but the extensions of that song that you see persist throughout camp. Good point. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we hit that pretty good. So, guys. I think so. Yeah. Thanks for this podcast. Tate, thank you for being an outstanding special guest here for our Baco 30 for 30. Thank you so much for having me, Maddie. You're the man. I'm glad to be here. 
Alright, and guys, thank you so much as always for listening. Thanks so much, Maddie. Fun as always. Yep, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Live from Lake Balfour podcast.